0: Chapter Twenty-Three of the Complete Works of Bran the Iconoclast, Volume One by William Cowper Bran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Twenty-Three, Victor Hugo's Immortality quoting the st louis mirror philadelphia's school board has barred victor hugo's les miserables from the list of books to be used in the high school in the teaching of french as a book not fit for girls what would not one give for a diagram of the heads of these educators it must be a nasty mind which can find anything immoral in that book as a whole One may take a chapter out here and there and show it to be broad and coarse, divorced from the context, but the whole effect of the book is moral. The mind of the man who can say that Les Miserables will not tend as a whole to make a girl more womanly, a boy more manly, must be poisoned by the miasma from a filthy heart. What and who in it are immoral? Not Valjean, not Fantine even, nor Cosette, not marius not javert the detective is the chapter on chamberon's surrender the offending fragment of the great literary masterpiece that chapter is the sublimity of disgust there never was any hurt spiritually or morally by the great french masterpiece of fiction the man who can say the book is defiling would draw defilement from the fount of castelli the philadelphia school board has declared itself an aggregation of asses les miserables is the greatest poem of divine humanity that this world has known since shakespeare wrote lear but i suppose lear too is immoral i suppose everything is immoral from oedipus the tyrant to hall cain's christian that teaches that men are born of woman and that love will have its way even unto all bitterness it is eminently fitting that les miserables should be condemned as immoral in the most immoral city in the united states a Philadelphian may be depended upon to see immorality in one of Raphael's Madonnas. End quote. My esteemed contemporary should bottle up its indignation. There is absolutely nothing to be gained by lambasting idiots, by criticizing cretans. Editor Reedy is but casting his pearls before swine, is talking to people who having eyes see not, having ears hear not, and whose cerebra are filled with sawdust. They are likened to a lot of sheep that follow the master ram, not because they comprehend or care whither he is going, but because they smell him, and point their proboscide in his direction as naturally as the needle lines the pole. It was Jean-Paul, was it not, who discovered that if a cane can be held horizontally before the lead ram of a flock, compelling him to saltate, then removed, the thousandth ewe lamb will jump at that point, just as did the pioneer." So it is, with a pietistical and puritistical people, they will follow some stupid old bellwether because utterly incapable of independent thought, of individual ratiocination. When Les Miserables first appeared, some literary Columbus made the remarkable discovery that it was a French book, that it was shot full of slang, the expressive patois of the race, that it was liberally spiced with Argot, the vernacular of vagabonds, hugo's immortal masterpiece has not yet recovered from this discovery the thousandth ewe lamb is still blithely saltating over the blackthorn. it is as useless to contend against the purest fad as against the holiness fake let the plague of army worms or epidemic or epizootic it must run its course preternicity of expression an affectation of euphemism has in every age and clime evidenced moral degeneration and mental decay when people emasculate their minds they redouble their corporeal devotion at the shrine of priapus for nature preserves the equipoise every writer of virility is now voted obscene every man who strikes sledgehammer blows at brutal wrong entrenched in the prescriptive right is denounced as immoral les miserables not fit for young ladies reading and this the epica of the new woman of the single standard of mind and morals while woman is insisting that she is every way man's equal entitled to share with him the wardship of this world detroit is putting bloomers on the statues of diane boston refusing the waco draping the marble figure of a child exhibited at her cotton palace anthony comstock having cataleptic convulsions les miserables excluded from philadelphia high schools and the iconoclast denounced by certain bewhiskered old he virgins as obscene and so it goes this world is becoming so awfully nice that it's infernally nasty It sees evil in everything, because its point of view is that of the pimp. Its mind is a foul sewer, whose exhalations coat even the rose of Sharon with slime. A writer may no longer call a spade a spade. He must continuously refer to it as an agricultural implement, lest he shock the supersensitiveness of hedonists, and call down upon his head the anathema maranatha of men infinitely worse than Oscar Wilde. What the mirror means by Cambrone's surrender, I cannot imagine, unless Editor Reedy was indulging in grim irony. I present extracts from the account of Cambrone, which he suspects may have given the pietistical Quakers a pain. It is the finale of Hugo's matchless word-painting of the Battle of Waterloo. Quote a few squares of the guard standing motionless in the swash of the rout like rocks in running water held out till night they awaited the double shadow of night and death and let them surround them each regiment isolated from the others and no longer connected with the army which was broken on all sides died where it stood the gloomy squares deserted conquered and terrible struggled formidably with death for ulm wagram jenna and friedland were dying in it when twilight set in at nine in the evening one square still remained at the foot of the plateau of mont saint jean in this mournful valley at the foot of the slope scaled by the cuirassiers now inundated by the english masses beneath the converging fire of the hostile and victorious artillery under the fearful hailstorm of projectiles this square still resisted It was commanded by an obscure officer by the name of Cambrone. At each volley the square still diminished, but continued to reply to the canister with musketry fire, and each moment contracted its four walls. Fugitives in the distance, stopping at moments to draw breath, listened in the darkness to this gloomy, diminishing thunder. When this legion had become only a handful— when their colours were but a rag when their ammunition was exhausted and muskets were clubbed and when the pile of corpses was greater than the living group the victors fell a species of sacred awe and the english artillery ceased firing it was a sort of respite these combatants had around them an army of spectres outlines of mounted men the black profile of guns and the white sky visible through the wheels the colossal death's-head which heroes ever glimpsed in the smoke of battle advanced and looked at them they could hear in the twilight gloom that the guns were being loaded the lighted matches resembling the eyes of a tiger in the night formed a circle round their heads the linstocks of the english batteries approached the guns and at this moment an english general colville according to some maitland according to others holding the supreme moment suspended over the heads of these men shouted to them brave frenchmen surrender cambrone answered merde to cambrone's exclamation an english voice replied fire the batteries flashed the hillside trembled from all these throats of brass came a last eruption of grape a vast cloud of smoke vaguely whitened by the rising moon rolled up and when the smoke had been dissipated there was nothing the dreaded remnant was annihilated the guard was dead the four walls of the living redoubt lay low with here and there a scarcely perceptible quiver among the corpses thus the french legions grander than those of rome expired on mont saint jean on the earth sodden with rain and blood hugo quite needlessly apologized for quoting the frenchman's laconic reply to the summons to surrender he was writing history and no milk-and-water euphemism could have expressed cambrone's defiance and contempt of course john bull pitilessly shot to death that heroic fragment of the old guard which forgot in its supreme hour that while foolhardiness may be magnificent it is not war i would have put a cordon of soldiers about that pathetic remnant of napoleon's greatness and held it there to this good day rather than have ploughed it down as a farmer ploughs jimson weeds into a pile of compost but john bull is not built that way is impregnated with the chivalry of baylor cambrone's reply is the only objectionable word in the entire work and certain it might be pardoned in a scrap of history by people whose press and pulpit have hypothesized trilby du maurier's supposititious prostitute i presume that the philadelphia school board is about on an intellectual and moral parity with the trustees of baylor haven't the remotest idea whether merd means maggots or moonshine. Victor Hugo was a lord in the aristocracy of intellect. His masterpiece is nature's faithful mirror. Amé de Boos should be branded with the hot iron on the hickory-nut head of every creature whom its perusal does not benefit. His description of the Battle of Waterloo is to Ben-Hur's chariot race what Mount Etna in eruption is to a glowworm it transcends the loftiest flights of shakespeare before it even the wondrous tales of troy pales in ineffectual fires it casts the shadow of its genius upon bulwer's pompeii as the wing of the condor shades the crow byron's sound of revelry by night is the throbbing of a snare drum drowned in hugo's thunders of mont saint jean danton's rage sinks to an inaudible whisper and even aeschylus shrivels before that cataclysm of promethean fire that celestial monsoon it stirs the heart like the rustle of a silken gonfalon dipped in gore like the whistle of rifle-balls like the rhythmic dissonance of a battery slinging shrapnel from the heights of gettysburg into the ragged legions of general lee i have counselled my contemporary to be calm but by heaven it does stir my soul into mutiny to see a lot of intellectual pismires who have secured positions of trust because of their political pull in the tenderloin, hurling their petty scorn at Victor Hugo. It were like Carlyle's critic fly, complacently rubbing its hinder legs and giving its opinion of the Parthenon, like Aesop's vindictive snail besliming the masterpiece of Phidias like a Baylor professor lecturing on the poetry of Lord Byron. Every writer of eminence since the days of Moses has had to run the gauntlet of these slight people's impotent wrath. While slandering the prophets of progress and religion, they have vented their foul room on all the gods of literature. Kansas, I am told, put a man in the penitentiary for sending through the mails biblical texts printed on postal cards." speaking of goethe's william meister carlyle says meister it appears is a vulgar work no gentleman we hear in certain circles could have written it few real gentlemen it is insinuated can like to read it no real lady unless possessed of considerable courage should profess to have read it at all And yet Wilhelm Meister changed the whole current of European literature. The work was practically committed to memory by the noblest men and women of the world. We hear the venerated queen of Prussia repeating from it in her cruel exile Wer nie sein As mit thränen aß, wer nicht die kummervollen nachste, auf seinem bette weinet saß, der kennt euch nicht, ihr let the Philadelphia School Board and the Valorian managers construe it if they can. Udivura udarini udiristico vasildamora udarini talti holna uera Sayamona mora. What I guess n't. The idea of keeping le miserabla away from the ladies just as though there could be found in the whole country a sixteen-year-old maid with any pretensions to intelligence who hasn't wept over little cosette been in love with Angel Ross, and doted on gavroche and jean Vergin. so ultra nice has the world become that we must skip the canticles shakespeare's plays must now be clapper-clawed to make them palatable alexander pope's philosophic rhyme must be deleted with dashes Walt Whitman's poetry is too strong for the average stomach. But we continue to fire into the bosoms of our families the daily press with its specialization of Hogan's Alley and the Yellow Kid, reeking with its burden of ads of abortion recipes and syphilitic nostrums, even take our wives and daughters to the tabernacle to be told by Sam Jones that if they don't think he has backbone, he'll pull up his shirt tail and show them. Byron was vigorously denounced by the vindictive Miss Nancys of his day, but scornfully replied, "I have not loved the world, nor the world me. I have not flattered its rank breath, nor bowed to its idolatries a patient knee." There seems to be nothing left that we may safely read except Watts' hymns, Talmage's sermons, and the pathetic story of Mary's little lamb a promising diet truly upon which to rear intellectual titans the remarkable thing about this purest fad is that all the pod snaps wear pants the ladies are not on tenterhooks all the time lest something be said or written that will bring a blush to the cheek of a young person it is the he virgins the bearded women who are ever on the watch lest young femininity become impregnated with an idea this country's got a bad case of malus pudor and needs an heroic dose of double action liver pills. End of chapter twenty three, Victor Hugo's immortality.